the title of what I want to talk to you about is, is Daring Mighty Things. You know, and um, I think if I asked each of you individually, do you really want to dare mightily for God? Do you want to see great things for God happen? I think every one of us would say yes, because culturally we would feel awkward if we said no. And so we would say yes, wouldn't we? Because it's what we're meant to say, isn't it? But, uh, but I want to come, come at this from a slightly different angle. And I want to say, what actually stops us daring mightily? What stops us? Because we're called to dare mightily. We're called. Last week I talked to you about trusting God and about how t- trust exercised creates praise. Okay? And, um, uh, and it, it really does. If you just look at Scripture, if, as people take steps of faith... I talked about the five levels of faith that, I, that are just five that I grasped and looked at and where there's a little tiny bit of faith exercised with a step of trust. If you're willing, you could you? Of course I'm willing, said Jesus. Of course I'm willing. That little step creates a place of praise in a dad's heart. Because his son is set free, his son is healed, his son is delivered. <gasps> Whoa! And I talked about that, but I, I want to talk about what actually stops that happening. What actually frustrates or limits us daring greatly, exercising trust, activating trust, so that praise is generated. What stops us? And I just want to read to you again the beginning of Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, I tell myself, with my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself, and never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He ransoms me from death and he surrounds me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. And it goes on brilliantly. And I would encourage you to read it and begin to just use it as a foundation of praise and prayer through prayer that actually fosters trust in you because he heals all your diseases he heals he heals he heals he forgives he forgives he forgives and he wants us to never forget his goodness Uh, yesterday I had forwarded to me um, an email that uh, came to Myrtle House uh, because the person emailing didn't know my personal email. Uh, but I want to read it to you because I was... Did you read it? I was so, so overwhelmed and encouraged. Uh, and I need to hold myself together a little bit as I read it to you because I, am, I was just shocked and surprised and blessed. It says this, Uh, Hi, Bill. Do you remember your time at Marine Projects, Plimpton, and our Thursday lunch meetings? You've heard me talk about this, maybe. Uh, Maybe you haven't, but let me just pause and say, uh, when I was first saved, uh, I was in the boatyard, and um, I was the only Christian in uh, 200 guys. And... um, and my prayer was, Lord, I need a mate. I, I need somebody here that loves you like I love you. And I can actually stand in this place as a witness for you. And, um, uh, and God, not, he didn't just add Christians into the company. Uh, he enabled me to lead guys to faith in the boatyard. And six years later, I had a Bible study on a boat every Thursday lunchtime. And we would, we only had a half an hour lunch and we were, so we would eat our food and I would teach what the pastor had taught on Sunday because I just took some notes and, um, I, I wasn't a Bible teacher. I was just reading scripture and listening to the Holy Spirit. It just, I would just listen and obey. And, um, and at the end of six years in that journey, there were, uh, I'll say 16 men, that's conservative, but there were 16 guys crushed into the main cabin of a 45-foot yacht, uh, having eaten their sandwiches, drinking a cup of tea, with me, with my little tiny uh, Bible, I still got it somewhere, a little tiny leather 
Bible that I could hardly, well, I didn't have wear glasses then, and I could, and you, and I'd just read scripture and tell them what the pastor had told me. So, do you remember your times at Marine Projects uh, and our Thursday lunch meetings? You probably don't realize, you probably, you probably don't realize it, but you and those days are often talked about right up to this present, this present day. I'm going to take a bite of my apple. Hmm? I was 26. So 10 years ago. <laughs> 26, 27, 28. Up, up to my 30. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> you probably don't realize. Now the apple's wedged and I can blame it for my lump. Uh, you probably don't realize, uh, you don't realize it, but you in those days are often talked about right up to this present day. You certainly made an impact on several lives, including my own. And as David Partridge puts it, David Partridge was... Um, now he might hear this okay, because it's being recorded um, but he would know this um, he was one of the most um, difficult guys I worked with because he was um, like many of us it was well, like many of yeah like many of us it was about knocking the boats out fast made, you made more money and um, uh, and and David and his mate were uh, some of the fastest carpenters in the boatyard, and uh, so we made big money uh, when we built boats. I was an engineer, and so as part of the team, uh, we made big money building boats together. But he would ride me um, and rib me and give me a hard time because of my faith. And, um, and then one day, right into the boatyard, um, God said, uh, tell Dave I love him. And I said, Dave, you must be joking. I'm not telling him that. He's horrible to me. And uh, I spent all day arguing with God because I regularly through the day heard God say, just tell Dave I love him. And I kept saying, you must be, no, 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 I'm pig-headed, you might know, or maybe you don't, but I am stubborn and difficult at times and very opinionated. And, um, and God just kept saying, tell Dave I love him. And eventually uh, I was in overtime at the end of the day and it was like, I don't know, half past six at night in the evening and um, God said, tell Dave I love him, and his tone had changed. And there was this kind of frustration and irritation I sensed with me, from him to me. Tell Dave I love him, kind of. And so, okay, but not with Andy on the boat, because he's horrible to me as well. And with that, Andy says, I'm going to the store. I'll be 10 minutes or something. And he leaves the boat, and I'm stuffed and so I say to Dave Dave I was riding to work today and uh, I felt God told me to say something to you that he loves you and he burst into tears and I led him to Christ so that's Dave Partridge and Dave Partridge puts it I wish I knew how Bill is getting on and wish we kept in touch I'm looking forward to seeing him if he turns up at our coffee morning tomorrow, which was yesterday. A big event for us at Ridgeway Methodist Church, celebrating 150 years anniversary, and telling him, I have found you. Sad to say, Dave is not, uh, this doesn't make complete sense. Sad to say that Dave has not one little bit with his questions. I don't understand that. But he attends a service about every once, uh, once every five years. So just maybe because I've rung this man and left a message and he's rung me back and I haven't been able to take the call because I just want to reconnect and see what happens. Reg Gibson runs the food bank at his church, North Plymouth Community Church. May you and your wife experience all of God's blessing. Reg Gibson, you need to know about Reg Gibson just quickly. 
I was under a boat. Um, part of my job was to drill a hole in the hull, um, or what, many holes in the hull, but one hole was to put the prop shaft in through the hull into the engine that I would be installing and uh, fit it up to the prop, uh, the P-bracket and the propeller and all of that stuff underneath the outside of the hull. And so I'm underneath the boat, and it's the noisiest, messiest job because you're drilling it through fiberglass, thick, thick fiberglass, and so there's, you're using air tools, so there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of dust, and so you've got a dust... Uh, you got some uh, like overalls on and a dust mask and ear defenders. And everybody steers clear when this job's happening because it's a messy, stinky job. And, and I'm underneath the boat and I get this smack on my back. And so, so I stop and I turn around and it's Reg. And I said, what do you want? And he said, I want to know the difference between transcendental meditation and Christianity because I'm going to do one of them. <laughs> I wasn't too sure about transcendental meditation, but I knew about Christianity. <laughs> so I said, let me tell you about what I know. Let me tell you about this Jesus that I know. That's Reg. And he runs a food bank in his church, and he's, a, he's been part of that church ever since those days. And this just well, it brings me to tears. Because, you see, we're called to be fruitful. And for some of us, we get the privilege of finding out years later. And many of you might not see the fruit of your labors. But I'll tell you what, God wants to encourage you to be fruitful. We're called to be fruitful. But Satan wants to shut your mouth. He wants to sow little worms of doubt that ruin your fruit. Little worms of compromise, little worms of restriction, little worms that cause you to actually be robbed of the fruitfulness that God has called you to bear. And so I want to talk about that. Oh, man. So you got time? Yeah? I'll be quick, but I'm not going to rush. Okay. This is 1 Peter 2, um, verse 9. You see, my theme, my theme thought, and if you spent any time with me over the last few weeks, you'll have heard me talk about what I'm going to talk to you about, because it's been percolating in me for weeks. And, uh, and I tend to be a little bit kind of, if it's, if it's in me, it kind of, kind of tumbles out in conversation, because I'm just exploring my thinking, and sometimes I experiment on people with my thinking. What do you think about this? So 1 Peter says this, People stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Not planned by God, but planned by their robber, the thief, their enemy, I, my enemy, your enemy. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I want to encourage you to dare mighty things so that others can see the goodness of God through your life. So that they can taste of the fruit of God in your life and it will make something good happen in their lives. And we're called as a royal priesthood. We're called, you are chosen by God as a royal priest. It's not this position, it's yours. It's your position. It's who you are. This isn't a priest who just ministers to people on behalf of people. This is you who ministered to people on behalf of God, and God ministers to you on behalf of people. See, the priest is the one who actually, he stands before God on behalf of others. So you press into God, not just so you can worship him, but you press into him so that you carry something of his radiance, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy into the circumstances. And it might be a boat with 20, no, 10 guys in. Or it might be an office with one colleague. Or it might be a college with 30 friends. It might be a street with one, two neighbors. But we're called to be people who influence others because we dare mighty things, and they see the goodness of God. 
We're called to stand before God on behalf of man, but we're also called to stand behalf. Uh, we're called to uh, to stand before man on behalf of God. So we stand before God on behalf of man, but we stand before man on behalf of God. God wants you to show His glory. God wants you to be seen as somebody who loves Him. And so we're called as royal priests. This is also in Exodus 19, verse 6, that you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. God has always, always planned for you and I to be the people that give Him worship, that give Him praise. But it comes out of trusting, as we talked about last week. But I, I just want to say, I want to ask this question, what stops us? Well, I, I'm going to take you through some uh, five, I think it is, uh, areas where the enemy will try and stop you. And I'm going to use Pharaoh's response to, to Moses' challenge. Because Moses is challenged by God, to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go because I want them to come and worship me. So God's intention is for the people to be free to worship him. But Moses has to actually trust God and then step up in front of Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He's identifying with them. Let my people go because we're going to worship God. We're going to worship God. And Pharaoh does, there's five steps in this process. And I want to just make them personal to you and to me. Exodus 8, 25 says, uh, so here's the first response from Pharaoh. Moses says, let my people go. We're going to worship. And Pharaoh says, hmm, okay. He says, okay. Go and sacrifice to your God, but do it here. Don't go out into the wilderness. God's instruction is Come into the wilderness and worship me. And so Pharaoh says, "Mm -hmm, you can worship him, but don't go out of this place. He's saying, I want you, you can worship, you can worship, but it needs to be convenient. Because if it's not convenient to me and it's not convenient to the nation, then I don't want you to do it. But I can do it. I I can be benevolent and I can say, yeah, go and worship, but don't inconvenience me or anybody else. Keep it convenient. And I want to say to you that complacent, convenient worship is an oxymoron. Okay, and this is what, if you've spent any time around me, you'll have heard me talk about this. This oxymoron of complacent worship or convenient worship. I I had to look up the word oxymoron. I I know in the back of my head what I think it means, but I wanted to check. And, And it means keenly stupid. And it comes from two Greek words. Uh... So it, it can mean keenly stupid, it can mean pointedly foolish. But, but I kind of look at the word and I think, oh, I'm going to break it down because it comes from two uh, Greek words, oxy and moron. And I think, well, oxy, that, that speaks to me of oxygen, it speaks to me of breath, it speaks to me of breathing. And then moron, I know what I think moron it means. And it's like, for me, it's, it's a breathlessly stupid thing to do, to compromise worship, to do convenient worship. You can't do it. It's not worship if it doesn't cost you anything. It, it's, it's convenient, and convenience is not a sacrifice. And so I want to say to you, if you're going to dare mighty things, inconvenience yourself in your worship. Inconvenience yourself. It's got to cost you something, and it gives him glory, but you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. And then the second thing that, uh, the second challenge is in uh, Exodus 8, 28. He says, um, so, oh, let me just, I've missed something I wanted to say. You see, Pharaoh wanted to stop the children of Israel going somewhere. Stay convenient. Don't go to the wilderness. Stay convenient. And I want to say, if you're not willing to go as an act of worship, if it doesn't cost you something, if you're not willing to, you see, cost going is about sacrifice. No sacrifice, no value in the offering. No value. There's no value if it doesn't cost you anything. And I heard this phrase, wise men still travel. Wise men still travel. And I thought, oh, that's it. I'm not an oxymoron. I don't want to be a person, a breathless fool. 
pointedly stupid. I want to be a person who brings a sacrifice of praise. And I'm not going to be restricted by those who say, oh, just stay here and do it. Let me show you what he does next. Pharaoh comes, uh, Pharaoh is challenged with a question. Let my people go, second time. And he says, okay, I'll let you go. Only don't go too far. Don't go too far. And, and this is my thought. If you want to dare mighty things in your worship, you've got to, you've got to go a little bit further than you've gone before. Because he's worth it. You see, the fear of fanaticism, the fear of fanaticism will rob you of your fruitfulness. It will rob you of your destiny. So my question is here, okay, he says, you can worship, but don't go too far. So let me say, what does that mean here in our day? What's that look like? What does it mean to go too far? How can my worship go too far? What does too far look like? And I've got some thoughts. Is this too far? To shout? Is that too far? To shout? Is it too far to sing a new song? Is, it too, is that too far? You know, to where we, we have a tune being played and suddenly we're just making up words. Is that too far? I don't do that. I don't do that. To dance before him. Oh, I don't do that. I'm a man. My feet are really heavy. They don't, I, it's all I can do to walk like that because they're so heavy. To actually dance... Oh, I can't do that. It's too far. Don't ask me to dance. Clap your hands. Bow down. Lift up your head. Tell of his might. Stand in awe. Meditate on his truth. Walk in his ways. Still your heart. Cast down your idols. Run to him. Make a loud noise. Lift up hands. Clash the cymbals. Praise him with the trumpet. Seek his face. Tell the nations. Are they too far? Because they are all they are all demonstrations of praise yeah. and worship that is in Scripture. You see, there's, there's several words in Hebrew that are used for worship and praise, and just two of them. Um, Shabbat is one, and it's, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it, I can read it, and it's, that's what it sound, looks like. And it means this, it's to raise an uninhibited shout to give God loud adoration and unashamed praise. It's in Psalm 32. And it's an expression of, wow, he's amazing. And, oh, but Bill, it's easy for you because you're down the front and you're professional and you, you're meant to make a noise. Yeah. No, I, I used to do this on my bike right into the boatyard, shouting praise at the top of my voice dog walkers were running in terror as this madman on a bike came riding through the woods because I'd be making a noise and come round the bend and there's a guy with his dog not just because there's a, a guy peddling I'd be shouting God you're amazing look at the trees woo that's <laughs> like somebody off the fast show <laughs> ain't God brilliant because I was overwhelmed with praise for this awesome God that had revealed his love for me. And I could see his passion in creation. I still do it. I'm still noisy. I'm still determined that I will never be outshouted by a dumb rock. That's my attitude. That's my attitude. I will be unashamed with my praise. Don't go too far. Don't be like Bill. Don't be like them other crazies. Don't be like these people who are professional up here. Don't you d- sit near the oh, sit near the back. <laughs> but it is interesting, isn't it? You look at our culture in church. You know, if you go to a school and you do an assembly, the kids, the first ones in, are in the front row. Yeah. They want to be there. They want to be engaged. Whatever, what's happening? What's going on? But we culturally, we're we're just much more civilized and sensible. And I don't, and it's difficult to sing loud at the back. I'm telling you, it's difficult to sing loud at the back. Yeah. The second word is halal. To boast in. To boast in God. To boast in Him. To, to shine. To shine. What does that mean? To shine, just 
put a torch on? No, no, no. You shine with God's favor. You shine with his radiance. You shine with grace. You shine with mercy. You shine with love. The way that you live in your family, the way that you live in your community, the way that you live amongst your friends, you stand out. People see something in you, and it's, and it's a platform for praise. Do you remember those Thursday mornings? Those, those Thursday lunch times? It's a platform of praise. It's a platform of praise. To add, uh, sorry, to act madly. <laughs> oh, I fit right in with this one. To act madly. Yeah, that's okay for the crazy. But actually, no. Are you limited? Has the worm of Satan's word got into your soul and he's causing something to become corrupted? That you think, oh, I'm not going that far. I want to say, look at your limitations. Look at where you are. Look at your comfortableness. And then step outside. Step outside and do something that costs you. Act madly. Make a show is another meaning of this word. To make a show. Oh, but then it all becomes about you. No. It's always about him. You ask me why I'm like I'm at. Why, why I am like I am. It's because of him. I love him. He's changed my life. He's affected me. He's forgiven me and he heals all my diseases. I will never forget his goodness. Never. Because. Because. He is faithful. He renews my strength. I was here yesterday. Now, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I was here yesterday because Ellen had to work in the gallery, and I thought, well, if she's working, I'm going to work. I don't want to just stay at home. And So I came, and um, uh, it was just me, and uh, I didn't tell anybody who was here, but I just uh, cleaned the car park. Uh, I, I blew all the leaves away and, sh- and shoveled and swept, and I did the nursery yard, and, and uh, somebody was here doing some work, um, doing cleaning the nursery. And they came out, and they don't come to church. And uh, they said, uh, what are you doing? I said, cleaning. I said, why are you doing that? I said, needs to be done. Gives me time to praise. Gives me time to give him glory. And it's costing me something. It's costing me something. And they went, oh, all right. And they got in the car and went away. <laughs> and, and left me to it. And I'm happy. And I'm happy to do it. But you see, I want to make a show. And for me, that sometimes means I need to do something that actually makes the place look different. And it's going to cost me. Now, please, don't. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to brag or show off. I'm just trying to give you an illustration. Okay? Let me give you another illustration that I found difficult. Um, if you get texts from me, uh, I know some people couldn't actually see it. There's one reason. But, but I text a photograph, uh, uh, um, um, a picture. Sorry? Of course. And it's a picture out of this book. It's out of this book. And this book is um, by Charlie Mackesy. And Charlie is a Christian. He goes to HTB. But he's a very famous artist. And, and I had the opportunity of getting this book. And... It, and um, it's, he signed it for me, which I'm like kind of chuffed about because he's, he's a really cool guy. And he does these amazing drawings. Does these amazing drawings. And he did this one. This isn't the one, but this one says, Sometimes I feel lost, said the boy. Me too, said the mole. But we love you, and love brings you home. And so it's just, it's a uh, book of a journey of a boy, a mole, a fox, and a horse. Anyway, I sent that out because it talked about kindness. And my part of my mission last week was to inspire you to be kind, to challenge you to trust him with your kindness and exercise kindness. And so I sent that text out and, um, and I was blessed by some of you who chose to respond and just say, thank you so much. That meant so much. You don't know the timing. That was great. It was perfect. Thank you so much. And I thought, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then I got my phone bill. <laughs> last night, last night, my phone bill dropped in the box. And I thought, 
what? What? I'm not going to tell you how much it cost me. <laughs> but my telephone bill was, yeah, what, what? I didn't know. I didn't know that it cost me that much money to send a picture via text. Times, however many times. And I was irritated, if I'm honest. I was just, oh, what's so stupid? Stupid, I haven't got that money. Oh, oh. And then I just thought, actually, the reason I did it is still the reason I would do it. Yeah. It's to be kind. Yeah. It's to encourage. And then I felt God challenge me this morning, just saying, Bill, you've got to do what you preach. And it's got to cost you something if you're going to sow kindness. It's got to cost you something. You, you, you've got to be extravagant. You've got to step out of the boat. You've got to, you've got to raise a shout. You've got to send a text. You've got to do something to try and inspire other people to give an offering of praise out of their trusting in him. Otherwise, we will never dare mighty things if our worship doesn't cost us something. Exodus 10, 11. Moses is saying, again, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, never, never. Uh, oh, only the men may go. They can go and serve the Lord, only the men. But don't you dare try to take the little ones. And I, I want to say to you that the enemy of our soul will say, children's church is children's church, but we're the real church. Let them go and have their fun, and we'll do the work. Satan brings division into the family unit. He is always working to rob children of the men's model. The men's model. Always. Always. Women are really nice and kind most of the time. Men tend to be a little bit more kind of slow at showing that kind of kindness and care. Because we're all about the job. We're all about fixing something. We're all about getting on with it. But actually, we're called to work as a team. That's why God puts the lonely in family. That's why he says, men, 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 model something to your families. Model something to your children. Model something to the children that have no fathers. Because he says, my heart is for the orphan. Because I want them to have a great role model. And it falls to us men. It's not exclusively men's role. But you can see here that Satan, uh, sorry, Pharaoh, is saying, okay men, if I can't, if, I, if you're going to go, only the men can go. Let's get them out of the way. Let's get them away from here so they can't influence their family. Let's just separate them so that their worship doesn't influence these people. And he brings separation. If you're going to dare mighty things, you have to build unity into your family and your community. You have to. Whoever you are, male or female, you have to. The enemy of your soul is rocked to his foundations when there is multi-generational worship. When there is multi-generational worship, when we are worshiping as a family, when we are singing, praising, giving, it's why I felt I wanted to do that with the children this morning. I just want them to see how you worship the king. Because your influence is a massive, it's massive. And you've only got to see the power of unity when you look at the Tower of Babel, when God himself says, look, there is nothing they can't do because of their unity. Now it's going in the wrong direction, but he, the, the, the principle is the same. Unity commands blessing. Commands blessing. So Satan will bring disunity wherever he can. And so here in this pattern, he's saying, okay, guys, you can go, but ladies, kids, no way. And, I, and I've, in, in the NLT, it says, don't you try to take the little ones. So he's really enforcing the separation. Don't even think about it. You can go, but don't you dare try to lead your family. Don't you dare. The intimidation. 
Then Exodus 10, 24. Let my people go. Let my people go. No. Okay, 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 okay. Go and worship your Lord. But don't you dare take your flocks and herds. Don't take your wealth. Go and worship the Lord as you want to. (laughs) You can even take your children, he says. You can even take your children, but I want to control your money. I want to control your possessions. I want, don't you worship him with your money. Don't you worship him with your wealth. Don't you worship him with your prosperity. Just worship him limitedly because I want to maintain control. And he says, Pharaoh says, you can take your children, but you can't take your wealth. And I want to say to you that one of, the, one of Satan's plans to rob you of daring mightily is to say you can't afford it. Pure and simple. You can't afford it. <laughs> can't afford it. Bill, it costs you all that money to send those encouraging little images. And some people were really blessed and some were really encouraged and some were just, hmm, thanks, which is fine. But don't do it again. Don't be stupid. Don't waste money that you haven't got. Don't do that. Oh, do it in another way. Just text a normal text, but don't send a picture because that's expensive. You see, he always wants to restrict you so that your trust is limited, so that your trust is conditional, so that your worship is complacent, that it's not sacrificial. See, true worshipers worship physically. You know, they sing and they raise hands and they... They dance and they do whatever they do. But it's physical. It, but it's also emotional. It's emotional. I feel in my emotions at times the presence of God. And I feel emotional. Sometimes I feel elated. I feel just excited. Other times I feel mortified. I feel convicted. I feel it in my emotions. And I worship him with my emotions. And sometimes it's spiritual. My worship is spiritual. Sometimes I don't understand the, the, the words that are coming out of my mouth because I'm making a new song. As Martin is singing a recognized song, I'm babbling along, making up my own words. And it's not because I'm not, I've got my eyes closed and I don't know the words. It's because I'm worshiping out of my spirit. And so I'm making up a new song for me. And then sometimes my worship, worship is intellectual and I like to think and debate and I've so I, I feed myself stuff that's not always kind of, well, it's, it, it strengthens me, but it's not what I want to listen to. You know what I mean? So I've listened to a debate um, uh, that went on a couple of weeks ago uh, between Steve Chalk and another theologian uh, about Steve Chalk's latest book, um, uh, uh, The Missing Paul, I think it's called. He, he wrote a book a few years ago called The Missing Jesus. And, um, and basically, what Steve Chalk is doing is he's saying, um, uh, Paul didn't write all the books that he wrote in here. They're not all Paul. Uh, some of them are written by disciples of Paul. Uh, and he's using um, quirky theological understanding, and he's misreading Scripture. And he's saying that Paul, uh, Paul never meant that... Um, it's my personal faith that saves me. He's saying what, what, the, what he's trying to communicate is it's God's faithfulness that means everybody is saved. So nobody goes to hell. There's no such place as hell. So I'm thinking, hmm, I don't believe that. And I'm worshiping God with my intellect because I'm listening to a debate because the other guy is saying, ha. How can you hold that argument when this is what Scripture says? This is what the, the, the founding fathers say. This is what the, the Greek text says. And he says, I read a Greek Bible every day. And he's countering his argument. And his argument is to belittle him. And I'm thinking, I don't like your attitude. And you're defending something that is indefensible. And you're promoting something that is heretical. But then the Bible says, in the last days, there will be people that teach 
what others want to hear rather than the truth. And so you have to worship God with your intellect. That's why I say, listen, don't just listen to what I say. Check up what I say. Read the Bible for yourself. When I quote a scripture, because I could say, "Mm, praise the Lord, I tell myself, with my mm, actions, I will praise his holy name. You know, it doesn't say that. It says with my whole heart. And I change a word because it's a little bit easier. And I can just sow a little worm into your mind, into your spirit that actually causes your fruit to become fruitless. And then finally, I can worship him with my finances. It's, it's, it's got to cost me something to worship him. It's, got to, it's not just, it's got to cost me everything. Because he's worth it. All that I am. I dare to trust you. I dare to trust you physically. You heal all my diseases. I dare to trust you emotionally. You bind up the brokenhearted. I dare to trust you spiritually. You will renew my strength. I dare to trust you intellectually. That what I don't understand, you will bring clarity to if I keep on trusting you. And I dare to trust you with all that I have. All that I have. Because I only have it because you've released it to me. So I'm daring to trust you. And the final one is this. Well, it's not the final one, actually, but it's the final one I want to know. Go and serve the Lord as you have requested. The wrath, I want to say the wrath of God poured out through the plagues that were poured out upon Egypt was more to do with God coming against that which was robbing him of the worship of his people. Mike Bickle says this. Mike Bickle is an extraordinary Bible teacher. But he says this in one of his books. All of God's judgments are aimed at that which interferes with love. God comes against anything that the enemy uses to rob him of adoration and love from his people. But I love the ending. I love the ending. See, because all the way through, Moses is saying, let my people go. He's responding to God. No, no, conditional, conditional, conditional. And then at the end, Exodus 12, 35 and 36, God gave his people favor and they plundered the Egyptians. They plundered the Egyptians. Let my people go. No, 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 no. God pours out his wrath and says, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. And if we dare if we dare mighty things, if we trust him with every fiber of our being, expending all of our trust, creating a place of praise, God says, I'm going to allow you to plunder the enemy. Oh, oh, and I'm not interested in gold and silver. Give me healings. Give me souls. Give me household salvation. Give me righteousness in a community. Give me influence with your words over a community. I want to plunder and plunder and plunder Satan's kingdom. I want to take the light and let it shine. And I don't know about you. I am not going to be quiet. I am going to choose to praise the Lord And I'm going to keep telling myself, praise him. You're tired. You're aching. You're on your own. Praise him anyway. Praise him anyway. My praise is not dependent on your participation. But I love partnering in my praise with your praise. And when we begin to build a family of praise, we build from a remnant, we build a revival. From a few, we create a momentous movement in a nation. I'm having another bite. Because we're going to be people who get to taste of the fruit of the Spirit. And others will be able to taste of the fruit of the Spirit. But we've got to guard our core from the worms that will seek to destroy the fruit in our lives. And the enemy 
will say, stay here, don't go anywhere. He'll say, hmm, don't go too far. Don't be one who says the word of God is the word of God. And I'm going to live by it. Don't be like that. That's a little bit radical. That's a little bit eccentric. Just make it fit where it kind of touches. And if it doesn't feel right to you, don't obey it. It's okay. It's okay. It's not okay. It's a worm. It's a whispered worm. Did he really say? Did he really mean it? No, no. Dare mightily. Dare mightily. Daring mightily is God's plan for you and me. So I dare you. I dare you. I double dare you. I double dare you with an apple on top. I dare you. I dare you to put right what is wrong and step up and do what is right. And um, we have lovely conversations because Ellen says, Bill, I say something and then you, you make it soft. So Ellen says, you need to respond, no, forgive me, but you, you do, and you're kind, and you're lovely, but you're the bulldozer cutting edge, and I'm the, I'm the bulldozer, remember? A prophetic word. <laughs> we had a prophetic word uh, many years ago, and um, Ellen had responded in this meeting, and this, and, and this guy, uh, she'd responded, and she was stood down the front, and the meeting was finished, and she was still stood down the front, it was in another place, another church, and... Uh, and, uh, and I saw her, and I'd been watching how people had prayed for her, and, and I was just mindful. And uh, as soon as the kind of meeting was over and it was convenient, I went and stood alongside her. And the guy that had been speaking, who is a, a well-known prophet, um, walked across the room, and he said, um, we were stood together, he came, and he just said, I watched you walk across the room, and God showed me a picture of you driving a giant yellow earth-moving machine. He didn't know who I was, but I was a heavy plant fitter. And I used to drive large, yellow, earth-moving machines. I used to repair them. If you come into my office, I've got a D9 bulldozer piston on my shelf that represents five liters of a 30-liter diesel engine that blew up and I rebuilt. And it's a memento, but it's, it, it reminds me of the power of God. It reminds me of a prophetic word. And he says, I saw you on this machine, driving this big machine, and people around you screaming and shouting, saying, stop, stop, what are you doing? Get off, you're destroying everything. And you were busy driving this machine, flattening everything. And you refused to get down because you knew what you were doing was the king's business. And then he turned to Ellen and he said, and God says, you're the cutting edge of the blade. Now, you need to know, because I know it, and I know what that means, that the cutting edge is the sacrificial wear strip on the bottom edge of the blade of a bulldozer. So it has two corner shoes and then three blades, three cutting edges. And they are a pig to change because they are so heavy, and they've got inch and five-eight nuts on them. And I know because I used to have to use this uh, air, air torque wrench uh, underneath this blade, and the blade would only lift this high. So you're down here like this with this big, heavy, vibrating uh, spanner undoing these bolts. And it was horrible because it was always dirty and wet. And, but these blades were the sacrificial edge that meant that the blade didn't wear out. And he said, and God's made you the cutting edge. And so often, so often we're in situations that are difficult and challenging and Ellen is the cutting edge. And she goes in first and she says, and then I come and do what I do. And so Ellen will say, you need to get down here. You need to shift. You need to respond. You need to not do, not, uh, do nothing. You need to do something. And she's like, and then I'll say, yeah, but, you know, you can make a decision and just do something in your seat, and you don't have to come down here. And I soft it, soften it up because I'm nicer. <laughs> and, and the reality is, sometimes it, we have to be hard, and sometimes we have to have power. Now, it's not to say that Ellen has no power. 
but sometimes it takes a different thing. And I want to say to you, I think you need to respond. And some of you have. You've come and got an apple. Loads of you did at the beginning and came and got an apple. But you need to do something. You need to do something to make sure that your life is one that is exercising trust, generating praise, and resisting the enemy, and seeing the kingdom of God advance through your life. So that you get emails from colleagues who say, do you remember that time when you brought me that cake? Do you remember that time when you just popped in and said, you know, I'm cutting my grass, can I cut yours? Do you remember that time when you lived next door to me? You remember that time when we worked together? You remember that time when you bumped into me in a coffee shop and we exchanged telephone numbers because you said you would pray for me? Do you remember that time? Do you remember? Well, it made a massive difference. And I'm following him because of what I saw in you. I dare you. I dare you. I double dare you. For his glory. So, Father... These are my words. These are my thoughts. This is my heart. I will praise you. With all my heart, I will praise you. I will never forget your goodness to me. I will never forget that you forgive all my sin. All of my sin. And I'll never overlook the fact that you heal all my diseases. I will continually choose to praise you because you are worthy of praise. I won't be distracted. I won't settle for what is comfortable. I will not be complacent in my worship. I do not want to be a breathless fool. I want to be full of your breath that fuels my faith and it's used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.